I've been playing outdoors since I was a kid, standing by the front door at around two years old, hollering, side, side, trying to get my mom to let me go play outside. Now, after 30 plus years working in the outdoor business, I'm dropping insider conversations every week with brand leaders, guides, marketers, CEOs, and others that make the outdoor business a trillion dollar juggernaut that drives product innovation, revenue, and public policy for everything outdoors. I'm Rick Says. Welcome to the Outdoor Biz Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Miles to Memories. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined by Joe Chung and Mark Hosterman. And we have a really fun show for you this week. We're going to talk about all of the bad behavior happening on flights lately. The talk about banning booze. Is that a good idea? What is the solution to all of it? Plus, we'll dive deep into the new Vegas Loop, the mass transit system underneath Las Vegas, built by Elon Musk and the Boring Company. What is it today and what does it promise to be in the future? Plus, are we ruining travel with for our kids with this miles and points hobby? How do we give them perspective on the world as we take them to fine hotels and lie flat seats? All of that plus rapid fires and more. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. Search Miles to Memories in your favorite podcast app. And if you're listening on Apple, consider leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach more people. We definitely appreciate it. But either way, thanks so much for listening. Let's hit it. So what's up, gentlemen? Happy Memorial Day weekend. Mark, I know you were up in northern Michigan. How uh, how has your holiday weekend been? Yeah, it was not as warm as you would hope. And I think Joe had the same issues uh, over in Boston that it was really cold. Usually, you know, Memorial Day weekend is kind of the unofficial start to the summer. And it's normally like 75 to 80 most of the time, you know, at least 65. But we went up Friday night and it was like 55 and rainy and just <laughs> freezing cold. And then it slowly got a little bit nicer, a little bit nicer, but the cool part is that a lot of the places that are closed during the winter open up this weekend, so we got to check out a new, a uh, couple new restaurants in town, which when there's only like six or seven, you know, adding a couple is a big deal. So one was like on the marina overlooking the water and everything, and they just re uh, refurbished everything, new owners. So it was really cool to see, and we've been looking forward to it, so that was cool to check out. Yeah, weather has been terrible. We have been planning for like months to like have a triumphant reunion with our friends in the area and stuff like that. And we were like planning to like hang out outside at one of our my friend's houses. Saturday rained out. Sunday rained out. Finally, we got there today. It's still only like 50 degrees. My wife was like wearing her winter jacket. Uh, it was terrible weather, but it was good to see friends again. You know, one of the... Uh, patrons from the diamond group is actually here in boston and so she also messaged me telling me about how bad the weather was and uh, she also went to the legoland here in boston so i really want to put this out there right now do not go there it is not and it's not an amusement park it is like a glorified chuck e cheese we always go when we get like complimentary tickets or sometimes because we live really close by like they have specials where if you spend like x amount of money at the lego store you get tickets and stuff like that so do not go to legoland in boston it is garbage is it like in a mall right yeah because we have one we have one here that it's like in the mall and they have a little store and then you go through and there's like a little ride that you ride and shoot a gun for like a video game and then there's a couple like a small ferris wheel type of thing indoors and then it's like a little building sections and stuff so it's more like a glorified hands-on lego building experience I mean, it's cool, but yeah, I wouldn't, we've, we've got season passes for like 35 bucks to just get in as like normally 25. So it wasn't terrible for us, but yeah, I wouldn't go specifically for that. Yeah. We've thought about doing that. It's exactly that. It's in a outlet mall 
it takes up like an entire floor above like a bunch of stores. But calling it Legoland is, I think, very misleading. It is nothing like the amusement park in California or the one that um, Mr. Amusement Park guy, Sean, isn't there one opening in New York was supposed to open last year, but got delayed because of the pandemic? I think it just opened this weekend, actually. It's opening this weekend. That's what I was going to say. And I just mapped it for you. And it's only a three and a half hour drive uh, from where you are. So there you go. You should take the kids there for sure. Have you ever been so, to the, the Hershey Park, Joe? I don't know how far that is from you. We used to go to Hershey Park all the time when I was living in New Jersey. We just went a couple of years ago. I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, that's an actual amusement park, though. Let's let's be clear. Yeah, I just these, I was these... just always curious if it was like a complete joke or if it. If oh it's no, decent. Hershey Park is a legit theme park. I see Sean's face. He really wants to jump in as the theme park guy, but Hershey Park is a legit theme park, and they have one of my favorite rides in the world. It's free. It's at the actual store. It's like a, what you would call a dark ride at Disney. It's like one of those rides where you sit in a little car and move slowly, but they go through the process of making chocolate and they give you a free chocolate bar at the end. It's great. And that one's free. You don't even have to pay to go to the theme park to go to that ride. And they used to have singing cows that would sing Hershey's milk chocolate. And I think they still, they still have singing they're, they're cows. They're in one scene. They, they sing they, new things. Yeah. 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 They changed, the, they changed a lot of it the last couple of years, but that is free and you can go there. Hershey's Chocolate World in Hershey, Pennsylvania. But yeah, the theme park is legit. There's actual like roller coasters. It's, you know, it's a, it's a real, like it's better than Six Flags Great Adventure from New Jersey, uh, in my opinion, at least. Maybe because I Nothing tops Action Park though. Nothing, nothing ever tops Action. Nothing. (laughs) Only kids that grew up in Jersey and risked their lives to ride uh, (laughs) water features understand that. (laughs) Now you can watch the uh, documentary though. (laughs) Yes. All right, guys, let's get into the show. Let's talk about bad behavior because, you know, this is a holiday weekend. People probably getting out for the first time in a long time. No doubt there will be stories of people going crazy on airplanes everywhere. But there's been these stories this week about Southwest. We saw that video where a flight attendant got really beaten. Like (laughs) her eyes were all bloody. Everything was all bloody. And I'm not laughing at that. It was just like a really sort of like a strong visual to see that. And then Southwest came and said they're going to ban alcohol for a while. American Airlines came out and said they're banning alcohol through at least September, but only in economy class. So I guess first class passengers are classy enough to be able to drink. I don't know. But what do you guys think about all this bad behavior lately on flights? I I don't really get the banning of alcohol because alcohol has been uh, banned since the pandemic on a lot of flights. So, and this is record numbers of people going crazy on flights. And I, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if it's, you know, people that don't normally fly flying or just they're going on there expecting to start, start uh, trouble, you know, type of thing. It's very weird. I don't know if it's like people blowing stimulus money that normally wouldn't be doing this. And they're just like, let's go on there and whatever. And then they don't know the rules and they get upset. But I mean, all this has happened when there hasn't been booze. So what... <laughs> I guess they think maybe it will get worse if they have booze, but I don't think you can necessarily say that. Maybe it will get better because people are frustrated and and nervous and anxious and, you know, having a drink or something would calm them down a little bit. I I don't know. I think, you know, over-serving people is a bigger issue that they could focus on or, you know, if they notice somebody coming on the plane that already smells of alcohol not serving them, um, stuff like that. I think there's other ways around it, but to punish everybody that's flying the plane just because, you know, a couple people are going crazy... I don't know. It, it it just seems a bit much. It's not just on planes that there's been bad behavior. Those of you who follow sports have probably seen there's eight playoff games going on or playoff series going on in the NBA right now. In four of those series, there have been incidents where 
people have thrown stuff or spit on players, thrown stuff at players, done popcorn on their heads. I do think this is like a weird corollary to what we've been talking about, about how like travel is going to suck for a little while as things come back. I think what is happening is the capacity and restrictions have gone like gone away. And so there's like a million people now. I don't know if it's because the staffing isn't up there or the training or both, but I just think that these organizations are not like, you know, you need to warm up and get ready. And when you're going like, say in the arenas, for example, you go from 25% to 100% overnight. Like literally that's what happened overnight. Game three in Boston was 25%. Game four last night was 100%. Someone threw a bottle at Kyrie Irving's head. So I think that these companies are not prepared to deal with it yet. I don't think that taking alcohol away solves the problem long-term, but my guess is because we were talking about this on our work Slack and they're not going to make more money by not serving alcohol. They make a ton of money on alcohol. They charge you like $10 for a beer, right? For like eight ounces of beer. Like they're making money. So it's not a money-making maneuver. So if it's not that, I was thinking it must be because they just want to have one less thing to worry about right now. One less thing that complicates things as things are ramping up because we have gone from zero to 100 so quickly that... I think they're just trying to like slow things down, you know, just calm things down a little bit. I'm sure it will come back because again, alcohol makes the companies, these planes, uh, these airlines, a ton of money, but that that's my guess, but it's not just in travel. It's just weird seeing how, like, as things have opened up, like people forgot how to behave. And, you know, I know it's partially because we were cooped up, but I mean, that's not no excuse for like, you know, assaulting people. I mean, did people know how to behave before though? I mean, that's, the question. I think that part of the problems people are running into is frustrations. To you, as you point out, the companies have to staff up. Like travel can be really frustrating. Bad service, uh, you know, slow service, unfriendly employees who are overworked, and you know, we always talk about people who like to complain. You know, I'm a diamond guest, all that stuff. Well, I mean, people didn't necessarily behave before when things didn't go right, and there's a whole lot of kind of issues that you run into along the way. So. Yeah, we just need all all need a lot more patience. The the funny thing that this week was, you know, somebody t- tweeted about should airlines ban alcohol completely on domestic flights? Like, should that just be a new normal? And I, I shared it in the work Slack just to mess with Mark because I knew that would trigger him. I mean, I totally agree. I just don't see the point of it. I just don't see what it would accomplish. We all, as a human race, behave badly before. I think the difference is right now is that before... We had been behaving badly for decades and all the people working had been dealing with it for decades. And maybe even the veterans who have worked it, who have come back, it doesn't matter. They haven't dealt with it for so long. They haven't dealt with this many people for so long. They just can't handle it right now. It's going to take time for us to like, just like where the call centers is going to take time to like ramp up in the same way. It's going to take people mental time. I mean, even for me in the classroom, you know, I've only been teaching like 25% of my kids when there's a hundred percent in the class this fall, you know, I'm I'm probably going to flip out on them because, you know, I don't know how to handle it anymore. Wait, you're just setting the stage for this, Joe? You're just like, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to kill these kids months before it even happens. Whoa, 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 whoa. I said kidding. flip out. I said flip out. You should okay. beep out the kill and then people will wonder, you know, what I said. Yeah, I'm not going to do what you guys all think I'm going to do, which is totally freak out. <laughs> oh, um, and then that goes on and on. And that, that's a great, one of the best movie lines ever. But, um. 
I don't know if it's totally just, you know, being understaffed and everything like that. I do think there is something to this where there's a lot of people traveling that never traveled before. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they were at home for a year and they're like, they had money saved up. So now they're like, hey, we're going to do it all out now. You know, the couple times I've gone to Vegas, most of the flight was first time people going to Vegas. We've noticed that on the streets of Vegas is a lot of people that you know, not the normal crowd. Everybody I've talked to says that it just seems different. And I think that's playing a big role into this. You know, you have people that don't know what's going on. They don't know how they're supposed to act. They've never done it before. And they're just going crazy. And I'm just, you know, I'm throwing numbers out there. And I know it's something in this realm. But, you know, there's an article I shared a couple weeks ago in uh, around the web that had, you know, at this point, in a normal year, there's like a 100 bad, unruly passengers that get in serious trouble or, or something like that. And already this year, there's been like 1,400. So we're not talking like a slight uptick or anything. We're talking like monstrous numbers that are well beyond what normally happens. And the only explanation I can see is people that don't know what they're doing or how to do it. It's like Spirit Airline passengers took over the world. I don't know. <laughs> Dang, that's fighting words, wow. but not for me. <laughs> yeah, they I, fight. I, I, Spirit Airlines fights in the airport. There you go. I, th- I think there's something to that, though, because I had a client that I booked a cruise for, and they're like, I don't even have a passport. I've never been anywhere international. So I do think that people who haven't traveled before, you know, I mean, this pandemic made us all really reevaluate what was important to us. And it's like, you know, why haven't I traveled? So I think a lot of people are doing that. So that makes sense. All right. Well, I think we, we beat that bad behavior topic to death that's a bad pun sean bad pun all right <laughs> let's move on to i'm glad you uh, understood <laughs> that it was one all right so let's move on talking about vegas loop joe because you apparently have a lot of questions about the brand new quote-unquote mass transit system in las vegas that's opening up beneath the convention center that's eventually supposed to become something else so what is it and i know you you were asking me uh, this week we have a video up on the youtube channel youtube.com forward slash miles to memories a full tour so you can see what it's like to drive in the tunnels, all of that. But the system is essentially a 0.8 mile tunnel system underneath the convention center that they expect to expand out to the wider city, build more tunnels. Do you know what Hyperloop is, Joe? Have you ever seen sort of the vision for what Hyperloop is? The Vegas one or just in general? And the answer is no, either way. Okay. So Hyperloop was the system that was sort of uh, conceptualized. Hold on, hold on. Let me let me clarify. What what are you what question are you asking? Oh, either way, it's no. But he I know, want him. To know. I know he knows what Hyperloop is too. He's lying. I know he knows what Hyperloop I do, is. I do. I swear to you. Okay, this. Vegas How do you get this far in life and not know what Hyperloop is? I don't know. How did I get this far in life and too much sports uh, well, stuff? Too much. Sports yeah, too stuff. much sports stuff. Yes, I think that's what it is. All right. I just thought you were nerdy enough to know what Hyperloop was. I'm sorry. I'm ashamed. Okay, if you say it's something that's nerdy and I should have known. I am ashamed. Nerd card revoked. <laughs> so Hyperloop is a sort of a, an idea. It was a white paper about a proposal for a system that could happen at some day in the future where you get in these magnetically sealed tubes where these pods could go hundreds of miles an hour. And the idea was you could get in a vehicle with just a few people and it would travel the entire system and you would end up at the station uh, on the other end. And Hyperloop's actually in development from several different companies around the world right now. It's probably about a decade before we start seeing the first systems, maybe. Um, There's some test tunnels, things like that. But the Vegas Loop system is none of that stuff. It's not a high-tech, magnetically sealed system with high-tech pods or anything. But It's Tesla Uber. (laughs) (laughs) It's Teslas and tunnels, but the idea is the same. It'll be that you can get in a car 
and travel the tunnels under the city and eventually just end up at the station on the other end, get traffic off of the streets. And the first part of that was the city essentially invested in this $50 million system under the convention center that later could become this wider uh, system around the city. Yeah, so I watched the video and it looks like just a bunch of Teslas traveling through the most claustrophobic tunnel I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, I was very, I'm not, I'm not even, exa- okay, it's not the most claustrophobic, but I'm not exaggerating. I felt very claustrophobic watching the video on youtube.com slash Vegas because it's just these Teslas that are in this like super tight tunnel and they're, I guess they're on a loop between the convention center, the strip, and what's the third location? Well, it's actually just three locations within the convention center right now. So What? It doesn't even go to the Strip? What is the point? <laughs> this is like the largest. I, I think it's the, I don't know technically. It's either the largest or second largest convention center in the country at this point. Um, I'm not sure that Orlando and Las Vegas go back and forth. They build more space and then they compete with each other. But they're adding a huge expansion there. And so the idea being it would have been a 25-minute walk side to side. And some of these conventions like CES, you're tired. So instead of building a traditional people mover system, that's what they were tasked with, which would have cost uh, many times more than what this cost. They decided to, to build this. And I think part of the calculus was that it would be a good marketing move, that Elon Musk and Boring Company are sort of a hot topic. And that even though maybe a people mover would have been more practical, it would have cost more money and they wouldn't have gotten the marketing that they're getting off of this Vegas loop and the potential of this wider system that they are supposedly going to build. Oh, do you, does any of you think... People mover. <laughs> Sean, do you think there's any chance that the the greater system doesn't get built? Because, you know, watching the video and just my coming into this, I didn't think it would be something that would work because the cars are too small. And right now they're having people drive. Eventually they want it to be where the car just drives itself type of thing. So I think there's gonna be issues with that. I saw a ton of uh, in the video, like people trying to pull out as people are trying to pull in and that's going to lead to an accident sooner or later. That's going to back people up. And I just don't think they're going to have the capacity to get people through like they should. So yeah, it would have been a 25 minute walk, but how long is the line going to be? And when you go downstairs to these areas, the, where you, you board the cars, there's not a ton of space. Stations. Yes. I was, uh, could not come up with that word for some reason. (laughs) So you're, you're in the station. It doesn't seem like there's a ton of space to stand around. You're only having cars come and go a few select spots. Uh, It does seem like they move fairly quickly, but I just wonder in a greater scope of things, like it just doesn't seem like it's feasible because you're trying to fit three or four people into a car. And then if you have a line of a hundred people, that's going to take a while to get through. Yeah. And if I can pile on before you answer, Sean, I think you said in the video that it was like they're aiming to transport 4,000 people an hour or something like that. At first, I was like, oh, I guess they're Teslas. They're automated. There's no drivers. That makes sense. But then watching the video, there is a driver. And I'm like, so is the human driver driving or is it on autopilot? And then, yes, I don't trust the robots. At the same time, I feel like if human drivers are driving, like you said, Mark, someone's backing out, someone's backing in. Human error is probably going to be more liable to cause an accident than not. And like an accident in that tunnel... Please watch the video. I cannot express enough how much I would not want to be stuck in that tunnel if there was an accident. Yes. And did you get any info on escape routes? Like, I didn't see any ladders in the middle of the tunnel. Are there? I hope, hopefully, there are hidden panels in the tunnel because the tunnel's like all white or whatever. Hopefully, there are hidden panels that can open up if uh, there's an accident. But yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry to be a cynic. 
No, I mean, and so I was cynical, very cynical about the capacity of the system going in and that what it, how it would work. And all I can say is actually standing there and watching it in motion and watching it happen, I sort of understood that they they've thought about everything. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect, but the cars are at a station for no less for about 30 seconds to pick up people. They have a system for how passengers get out, for how passengers get in. It's definitely a labor intensive system because, as you point out, there is a driver in every car and while I don't know 100%, I don't think they've ever confirmed why they don't have autopilot going on. Uh, if you watch my video, there's a section where I zoom in on the speed limit, and you can see the Tesla screen there. And you can clearly see as it goes through the tunnel, it's seeing trucks and different artifacts it thinks are different vehicles. So it's getting light bouncing back off the tunnel, and it's autopilot simply just doesn't work in the tunnel. So that's probably why it wasn't implemented. It was promised so, when yeah. they originally Is sold it- the system. Is it still cheaper when you're paying like a hundred people to drive cars around? <laughs> no, but I think the the big breakthrough here is nobody has ever built a tunnel this cheaply and delivered on it. And that was really sort of the promise of this system was they're building sort of the the bones of it. And you can put in, as technology progresses, you can put in different pods, different hardware essentially within these tunnels. And you know that's sort of the the point of it. The tunnels aren't big enough, Joe, to put a bus or anything. Um, but they had at one point talked about developing like 12 person pods, but right now they're just using off the shelf Teslas. So like on one hand, I totally get the criticism of it because it is Teslas and tunnels and it's all using technology that existed for a hundred years, essentially. I mean, it's cars driving through tunnels, but the promise of the system is something uh, greater than that. And the cost of the system was significantly lower than it would have cost even just to build an airport people mover or any other alternative. And Boring Company is going to be paying for the entire rest of the Vegas Loop, those main tunnels. And the you know if a casino wants a station, they're going to build the station and pay for it. So the city of Las Vegas paid $50 million to get this started, and then the rest of it will be private money. It's getting all this marketing. You know, Maybe the system will fail. Maybe it won't. They say they hit their 4,400 per person or 4,400 person per hour mark during the test that I was at. But... At the very least, I don't see what Las Vegas has to lose here, especially with Boring putting up the billion dollars or so to build the main part of the system. And uh, so they're really putting all the risk. All Vegas is doing is allowing them to build the tunnels underneath the ground. I do think the tunnel, you know, how they were able to to make the tunnels and how quickly and cheaply. That's a big thing for sure. For a couple miles of the convention center, I feel like they should have just put uh, like moving escalators. <laughs> like you go down and you just get on the the thing that they have at the airports, like something like that. Um, And I think it would have been almost as efficient would be my guess. Um, Just because I do think, you know, right now with the tests, there's like 150 people, 100 to 150 people. When you're talking about a convention, you're talking thousands of people coming out at the same time, trying to get into these cars to get to the other end or whatever. Um, You're talking a whole different, uh, you know, level and the area isn't big. I just imagine it being backed up all the way up that escalator standing outside waiting to get through to these cars and i only saw you know uh, the slots cars are coming and going quickly but i only saw like five or six slots in the center uh station so if if everybody bombards that station what are you what are we talking about there you know to get through them so i guess it all depends on how many cars they can fit in there was that kind of like the max amount of cars or are they planning on fitting more cars i don't know i just i'm skeptical still well there are slots on both sides of that station going both directions there's ways for cars to turn around in that station as well. So um, they can they can fill it all. There was about 500 people actually testing the system. There was 150-ish at each station. 
and they were filling the cars. So that was the whole idea was to simulate what a crowd was. So yeah, at CES where there's 100,000 people, they're going to be able to move 4,400 people in each direction as they claim. And they said that they met that. I'm just taking them at their word. As far as like safety, Joe, uh, because the stations are no more than like 700 meters apart, the, the stations act as the escape in those tunnels, although the longer tunnels will have all of the requisite escape hatches and all of that. And they have in the center station, apparently they have such strong suction that any fire or smoke would be, they, they're able to suck it out of the tunnels via that. So that's why they didn't have to install anything special. But I, I hate that I become the defender of this system, but I'll be there on opening day. I don't I'll know if I it. trust we'll that. Let's well, suck all I, the air out. <laughs> I, and I agree with you. If you're going, the top speed's 40 miles an hour. If you're going 40 miles an hour and your driver lose control in the tunnel, it's going to be pretty ugly. People were worried about how do you get out if, let's say, a car crashes and gets stuck in the tunnel. All of these drivers have trained how to back out through the entire system. They've driven it many, many times backwards. So let's say a car crashes in the tunnel and you're behind them. Your driver will back out. They have a vehicle to be able to tow the vehicle out. So they have all, they have thought of all this. So we'll see how it works in reality. But I think that, I mean, it's exciting. It's the first sort of different kind of take on this in a while. And with the promise of technology getting better and having a fully automated system, this is essentially, Joe, the people mover, the promise of what Walt Disney wanted with the people mover, multiple lines, you get on a, on a smaller kind of car and it ends up where you want. Like, you know, when he proposed the Epcot, the, which had like, what, five or six different people movers in it. And so there you go, tying it all into Disney. Don't pull, the Walt card on me. <laughs> Don't pull the Walt card on oh, me. Don't pull the Walt card on me. Oh, here Sean. we go. Disney. Here we go. I'll take my drink. Well, yeah, I, I, I think people should check out the video because it's cool to see it. And I, it was fun to do it. And if you're in Vegas and you have the ability to do it, I don't know if they're going to restrict it to just convention attendees or not. But I think it's worth doing. I had a lot of fun. And I mean, I'm supposed to, to like start for real. June 8th is when World of Concrete uh, opens, and that will be the first official public day of operation. And I have media access, and I'll be there for the ribbon cutting and for all that. So I'll uh, see how it works in reality. World of Concrete. I... That sounds fun. <laughs> I do it hope really it's does. Success- oh. <laughs> I do hope it's successful because the Vegas Strip and just getting to downtown or getting to the airport, especially when, you know, recently with Uber and Lyft being like, not able to get a car or triple the price. It'd be awesome. We've been looking for something like this. We always wanted the monorail extended to the airport, that type of thing. So I hope it's successful. I'm I'm still super skeptical, but here's hoping that something good comes out of it and we have mass transit all the way from the airport to downtown to the strip. So hopeful. Yeah. And if for the people who want the monorail extended, that's not happening. The monorail's gone. I mean, the Las Vegas Convention of Visitor Authority bought the monorail to get rid of it so that they could build this system. So this is the system that uh, if anything's ever going to go to the airport, it's going to be this and not anything else. It's Viva Las Vegas. Let's talk about ruining our kids, Mark, because uh, you had an article on the website. It's something I know quite well about, you know, ruining my kids with travel. So near and dear to my heart. But, you know, you were, what, wondering, worrying, you know, about what all this travel, about what the hobby does to your kids. Uh, what were your specific concerns? Yeah, it's mainly focused on just like, are we, you know, making our kids jaded with all these tra- trips and how affordable they are and how accessible they are, how how easily we can travel because of miles and points. We can go places that we never thought we wanted, we not never thought we wanted that to, never thought we wanted to go to or never thought we could go to that's totally accessible because of miles and points. And we basically uh, travel way above our weight class, you could say, or, you know, our income level. But kids don't really understand that. So they just think, 
when you grow up in something, you just think that's normal. That's what everybody does. You know, everybody travels this way. Everybody goes here. Everybody goes there. But it's not the case until you get older. And then you start to wonder when they reflect back on this, are they going to be jaded when they go on a regular trip with somebody else? And they're like, oh, we're not flying in the live flat to wherever. I don't really want to do that. Or I've already been there before. I don't really care. And then do they become kind of snobbish about it or uppity, I guess you you could say, because they're used to all this travel luxury. And even staying at a Hyatt place isn't luxury, but it's nicer than what a lot of people will stay at because those Hyatt places could go for a couple hundred bucks. We don't think of it as luxury, but to a lot of families, it would be. So something I've always wondered about, uh, how do we keep our kids grounded when we're doing all this stuff? And how do we explain to them how we're able to do it? And then hopefully we don't uh, ruin travel for them in the future. But I don't know if you guys have ever thought about it or stayed up at night wondering, (laughs) pining for the answers to this question. I mean, I've definitely thought about it. I'm flying down to Orlando and my kid asked me why the seat doesn't turn into a bed. You definitely question some of your life decisions. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't actually happen, but similar. Close. No, like, okay, so we're we're going to Alaska uh, this week. And my son's like, oh, are we, you know, I told him, I said, hey, I sprung for first class because we haven't traveled anywhere in a while. And he's only flown first class in spirit, which isn't first the big front seat or whatever. So it's domestic first class. He's like, oh, are we getting one of those special where you have your own room compartments and bed and stuff? I'm like, no, buddy, this is domestic. <laughs> you just get a bigger seat. He hasn't even flown. He hasn't even flown a life life first class yeah. yet. And he's already asking. <laughs> yeah, you ruined it, yeah. Mark. No, but <laughs> I, I have thought about this a few times and I've also thought about it in terms of my own history. I mean, my parents, we did not fly in first class or anything like that. In fact, well, I'll get to that, but we traveled to Asia a lot and then we moved to Asia for a few years. And then when we lived in Asia, we traveled a ton within Asia. Plus I would be coming back to the States. So when I was in the States, I would fly over to Asia. When I was in Asia, I'd fly back to the States. So we're used to flying back and forth all the time. Funny thought, on the, I guess it wasn't live flat back then in the 90s, but uh, there was one flight from Hong Kong back to the States where my dad sat in business class and left me in coach in the back by myself. It was just the two of us. And I remember there was this family around me. And every time my dad came back, I think they were looking at him like, what kind of father abandons their son with random strangers in coach? But it worked out well because I got to play their game here. But uh, what happened to me, though, was like in, a, in my 20s, I did not travel a lot at all. I would just travel in the States and things like that. And I think what happened is I traveled so much as a kid that I took it for granted. Like I took taking, I took traveling for granted so that like when I was in my twenties, I didn't really want to do it that much anymore. But then when I got married, Jess really loved to travel. And then like on our honeymoon, like the first time I really traveled internationally, you know, since I had been a kid, like I fell in love with it again. So I do feel like, yes, I took it for granted for a little part of my life, but all that travel we had done for my fa- with my family, both for fun, but also just, you know, as part of our lives, I think it seeded something in me that made me really love travel um, as an adult. So that's what I'm hoping for my kids. I'm guessing there's going to be some point in their lives where they get jaded. They don't want to travel anymore. But I'm hoping like the foundation that of travel and the love of travel that we're giving them now will like kick in at some point when they're adults. That's what I'm hoping, at least. Another point I wanted to bring up was traveling as a kid. My parents, I called it balling on a budget. And it's funny, they read the article and they're like, we didn't have a budget. What are you talking about? We We just did what we could on the credit card. And then we figured out how to pay it off later. Like we were just trying to do what we could. And I was like, well, you guys always like to try to find the dime in the rough, something affordable, but yet cool. And back in the day, you look at those brochures you find at like 
uh, gas stations and stuff. Oh, that looks really cool. Let's go there. And then you get there and the picture is 20 years old and it's a dump. You know, so we had those experiences where you end up in a place that's really not great. During it, you hate it. But then later, those are the things you talk about the most and the memories you have and kind of what you laugh about. And we're all, you know, pretty good at this thing. So we don't really find ourselves in those situations. So I guess like since we don't have the bad, can we appreciate the good as much and and stuff like that? So something I worry about. I don't know. I think that you do have those situations. It's just, you know, it's different. It may not be a terrible hotel. Pipe, but it's something pipe burst, Sonia. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, the stuff the stuff happens, you know, travel just opens your life up to that. And it's good for the kids in, in so many ways. I don't think it really has much to do with travel. It has to do with how you parent and then, you know, what you teach them about what they're doing. If you're teaching them to be pretentious and that they're better than everything, and then they're going to take that. If you're going places and teaching them about those places and the culture and they're actually engaging with where they're going, then what they pick up is going to be far more than you know, entitlement. And I think that that's just sort of a, an automatic thing. I have raised a kid who traveled a lot. Um, the only thing that's different from when we like backpacked and we stayed in crappy hotels is back then when we traveled, it was never about where we slept, right? It was about what we were going to see when we left. And this hobby, a lot of times it then becomes where you're, you know, the hotel sometimes becomes the destination or it becomes a part of the story. And it's really easy to get sidetracked and to like totally not immerse yourself in a culture and things like that. And I'm certainly guilty of it. Whereas when you're backpacking, staying in a really crappy hotel, something like that, you're spending as little time as possible there and you're out experiencing things. And so that's a little bit of a trap that kids, you know, that families can get into or that we can get into in the hobby. But I feel like the, the education that they get from being beyond their, their life here, and especially as like social media seems to be narrowing people's views of the world, uh, I think it's so important. And I just, uh, I get it. I get I the think, whole worrying about them being, you know, entitled, but I just feel like the perspective they get is, is so good. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, and I, that's kind of the conclusion I come to is I think that it's it's more about the way you phrase it and how you uh, parent them and what you say and how you act. They pick up a lot of how you act and that's the way they think they should act. So if you don't act entitled or like the diamond guests asking for giraffe, giraffe parking, then that, you know, they won't expect those type of things. I do think it's something that we need to worry about ourselves as well. You know, we get uh, to a point where we we focus on travel for specific things or we want the best of the best and all that stuff. And when I did the Arby's Hawaii trip, we flew in a live flat from L.A. to Honolulu and it was in an older live flat that was like super tight. I forget that, you know, people will know what plane it was if Ian... Ian's yeah, still he's here. there. He's, yeah, he's, he's in the chat. Come on, <laughs> I want to say a 767. I don't know. But it was like an old school Delta where it was really tight and it didn't, it, it just wasn't what you are used to. I'm like, and all the people with us, like one other person was a miles and points person. So he had been on Live Flat before and everybody else is like, this is amazing. And me and him are like, oh, this is really like the worst to get as bad as it gets. So I feel bad that this is your experience of it. But you know, that's us being kind of douchey. I guess <laughs> like we should have just been like, hey, this is a cool experience and, you know, we shouldn't be judging it. And that's something that we lose along the way. Like, you know, everybody else thought it was amazing. And that's we kind of lose that a little bit as we do these things. I do think ultimately because our kids are so young and like you guys said, as long as we are, you know, I remind my kids not every seat is lie flat we're going to fly and coach when it makes sense. Like we flew and coached to Europe um, with my daughter. And it's funny you brought up this topic because 
my daughter just brought home a bunch of stuff from school, including, I guess her teacher has her like just journal and like free write about whatever. And I was like, read, she was, she showed me, she was like, Hey, look at what I wrote about you. And she wrote about, I like that you put that in there so that people don't think you're snooping on her journal. Yeah. (laughs) I look, she's, she's going to be nine this year. You know, I I can't be going through her journal anymore. Okay. I got to show, show that privacy and that respect. (laughs) But, uh, so she wrote in her journal, she was like, Oh, uh, I'd love to travel with my dad. We went to, um, France, Disney, and I can't remember where else she wrote, we've traveled to too many places. Okay. See, that's pretentious, but, um, (laughs) you know, she wrote about that and she remembered that. And, you know, I think it's something that the kids do remember. Um, so, you know, I do think ultimately, as long as we go in it with, uh, the right attitude and like you always say, Sean, you know, really appreciating the culture or wherever we're visiting, the good outweighs the bad when it comes to traveling with our kids for sure. Yep. And to your point, Mark, yeah, adults need to work on entitlement probably more than kids do. So <laughs> there's a lot of uh, a lot of. I don't us, know. Uh, I don't appreciate you guys constantly subtweeting me in this uh, <laughs> in this segment. Okay? I just don't appreciate that. All right, let's uh, let's head into rapid fires. Mark, start us off. Yeah, I wanted to bring up uh, my Airbnb article. Has Airbnb been a net negative on our lives? And it's not really talking about from a travel perspective, but I thought it was an uh, interesting discussion to have. It's something I found when I was doing an article for around the web where Airbnb fees have been raised, you know, cleaning fees. Some people are taking advantage of it because the host actually set that fee, which wasn't something I was aware of. I assumed it would be like a percentage type of thing, but they kind of set their own fee. So if it's a one day or a 10 day, it's the same fee, which makes sense because they're only cleaning it at the end. But something that was brought up in that article is, you know, areas that are popular for Airbnb have driven up rents and kind of taken away from possible uh, domiciles for people that live in the area because they have now it's become an institutional renter, institutional buyer that is going to Airbnb to rent these places out. Like one guy in Atlanta owned like 17 properties. So that's kind of a thing like in a market where inventory is scarce and then somebody comes in to buy it just to rent it out Airbnb, that hurts the people that live there. So I thought it was something worthwhile to bring up and in a discussion that needs to be had for sure. It was mixed uh, in the comments, definitely both sides of the thing for sure. How about you, Joe? Yeah, so Mark posted an article today about getting a real ID and his experience doing that, but also wondering whether you're going to need it at all. I've been thinking about getting a real ID just since they keep saying that you're going to need one. However, as Mark alludes to in the article, and also I think Seth Miller from uh, Dots Lines Destination, he tweeted about this like a month or two ago. He doesn't think Real ID is ever going to become necessary. We'll see. I'm still like nervous about it. So I just keep in the back of my mind like, oh, I want to, if I'm going to need to get a Real ID, I want to get it early, kind of like Mark's doing. Um, but, you know, I thought it was an interesting article. And this whole Real ID thing, I do think it's pretty funny. I If I had to bet on the over or the under for how long it takes for it actually to get implemented, I'm betting the over no matter what it is. <laughs> See, I think it's going to be sneaky and just when everybody thinks they're going to expand they're going to extend it again, they're going to hit us all and make us do it. So that's that's my theory, but I'm thankful because it's been years like I had an 8-year license that's finally up next year. And so it's been years I've been thinking I've had to go get a new one before it expired and now they've postponed it so far that I'm just going to naturally go get it. So Yeah, I think the same. I'm going to do the same. Like my license is up next year, so I'm just going to get it just in case. And then, you know, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, what's your rapid fire, Sean? Mine is the Disney Hacks podcast. Greg and I talked about Disney California Adventure this week. 
the history of the park. And I think it's just a really cool park, really interesting history. And it went from being like a disaster of a park into one of their best in the, in the world. So if you like Disney and you like history, kind of learning about theme park stuff, which I know Mark doesn't, but everybody else out there does. So uh, check out Disney Hacks. You can hey, we learned about that. Legoland today. Yeah, there you go. We, we sneak it in. but And whether or uh, not real. But loving these uh, park history segments we're doing on Disney Hacks every uh, couple weeks. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So check it out on uh, the site. Or just search Disney Hacks in your favorite podcast app. And, it was a good uh, episode. I agree. Should check it you. out. And a couple weeks ago, we did the amazing Chinese Disneyland. So we did Shanghai Disneyland and Hong Kong Disneyland, which... Uh, was a really fun history episode as well. So if you like park history, uh, check out some of our our recent episodes. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Joe, when people aren't listening to the MTM podcast, where can they find you? You can find me at As A Joe Flies all over social media. If you are looking to book anything Disney related, you can hit me up, Joseph Chung at TravelMission.net. Happy to help at no cost to you. What about you, Mark? You can find me on Twitter at DetroitMark. Email me, Mark, at MilesToMemories.com. Join our Facebook groups, our Patreon group. Our Diamond Group, who's uh, listening live in this week, we did a special holiday segment uh, with them. So thanks to all them that joined us live. And, uh, you know, comment on the articles, milesmemories.com. We do how many, Sean? Like 50, 60, something like that every week. So we'll get back to you there as well. And I just want to say that Mark and I are doing an MTM Vegas meetup in Las Vegas, September 18th. There's no official uh, information on it on where it's going to be, but it's going to be a couple hours hanging out. And uh, I know this isn't our Vegas show, but if you are interested or going to be in Vegas and want to hang out, uh, it is an official Miles to Memories meetup. So September 18th. See you there, Joe. Yeah. Anyway, I know where the meetup's going to be. It's going to be on the Vegas Resort Loop. So uh, everyone meet there (laughs) September 18th. We'll just each get Teslas. (laughs) Hey, it's it's free, right? So it doesn't cost anything. So September 18th is the day, Mark. People to join us. Boys trip. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, thanks so much uh, for watching. That's going to do it for us this week. Check out milestomemories.com for everything, all of our posts, podcasts, videos, and uh, everything else in between. Thanks so much for listening, watching. Talk to you next time. See ya. Subscribe. Bye. Either either staffing or training is not like hold on a second. <laughs> he did warn us. He said this time it'd probably be a little bit loud. <laughs> Turn Daniel Tiger on. <laughs> now I remember why I picked this time, Mark. It was just to mess with Joe, just to stress him out. <laughs> I swear. Ah, <sighs> what's up? Wait, hold on. Uh, I know where Let it's Let me say it again. Be. Let me say it again, because I so September eighteenth uh, is where it's what it's gonna when it's gonna be. So there, you got to say, see it there, Joe, again now. Cause Sean ruined everything. See it there, Joe. Oh yeah, him. No, see, it's just terrible. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> you still kind of messed it up. Do you want to go for a third try? Yeah, third time's a charm, buddy. <laughs> hey, when you get that I, diamond lounge first, elite status, <laughs> I, I also, I also had a... Ian. So. Ian says Vegas. Oh yay! Except for he's been there more than anybody not named Sean. <laughs> Ian, yep. so there there will be a guest list, and Ian's name will will not be on it. So, uh, just he, no, I'm just he's gonna he's showing up when we're in Resorts World too. He can't stay away. He just can't do it. <laughs>